And now that you're here, we're all in the company of your cool aunts. I'm Sam. And I'm Ted. And this is the Your Cool Aunts podcast, where we follow the lives and times of cool aunts through Claire's diary. So welcome back. And if you're new here, hop on over to our website. Over there, you'll find all of Claire's diary entries, her photos, and lots of other good stuff. So go ahead, check us out. But first, let's get back into the diary. Special diary entries. Yeah, these are diary entries. Claire is reading the diary entries of a young woman who was living, surviving, leading life in a champagne cove during World War II. And there are some American soldiers who have happened upon them and have joined them in the cove. Any thoughts before we move along? No, I'm interested to learn. This will be the fourth in the series, of which we don't know how many there are. Claire has failed to provide us with that leader. I don't think there are many more, I'm guessing. So pay no heed to me. Claire says, nieces, aunts, and friends, I've been reading this diary for weeks now. And she's referring to the diary of this woman in the cob, right? Their lives down in the cob where, not so long ago, I was guiding tourists, reciting my text, promoting the wine, and explaining the champagne process. I whisked them through the passages with quippy references like, some villagers may have even taken refuge right where you're standing, to which the tourists would always respond with awe and some photographs of the moment too. And Claire says, I'm embarrassed now by my own flip idea of humor then, where there had once been considerable sacrifice. Now, after reading some of this diary, I feel so connected to them, the villagers, and especially, and she puts in air quotes, L, the letter L, who has identified herself as L, is the young woman who's writing the diary, also known as the professor, as the American soldier calls her. And Claire says, I need to know more about them and their lives in Champagne. Maybe I can put together the history of this village and her citizens. I don't know. We'll talk again soon, Claire. Hmm. So this really has Claire intrigued. She wants to fit the puzzle pieces together and figure out who's who and what happened when and all of those good things. My recollection is that it was mentioned in an earlier diary entry that there was an apple crate of diaries and records that they had saved from the village. Right. right? So there are some records somewhere. Who knows? So just for, just for a little clarification, so Claire is reading this diary that she doesn't know who it is, but whose diary it is. But she gets it from Laurent. Laurent has given okay. her the diary. Right. To just wanted right. to clarify that a little bit. The diary entry is entitled Back Again. So this would be in the voice of L, the professor. <laughs> and she writes, Back Again. I haven't been here for a few weeks now. This has been a thing with me lately, letting a day end without writing here. I think I can forgive myself and acknowledge I'm no worse off for it, even though I know deep down that I always feel better when I end the day right here. Now, well, I'll declare myself forgiven so I can continue without re-examining the why over and over and over again. So I'll just move on. She's done with that. She's forgiven <laughs> She's moving on. Hey, maybe, you know, more people should do that. Dear diary, I'm sorry. Move along. Please forgive me. <laughs> she continues. Elle says, when I look back on these weeks, I'll remember them as when B and I finally admitted our feelings for one another. 
The funny part of this is that we were probably the very last ones to see it. Apparently, we've been the talk of our village in the cove for some weeks now. I'm going to pause. This is funny because this does happen. Two people get interested in one another and a friendship blossoms and it grows into something more. And they don't know it. The conversations get more intimate and lengthier and there's a lot of laughing and up late conversations about anything and nothing at all. I think it's a very common thing for two people to realize they're the last ones to know when they're in eye shot, if you will, or earshot of other people. So you're saying they're not cognizant of it. When they're going through it, they don't know. Well, I suppose if they were pulled aside and asked about it, they would, (laughs) but they're not acknowledging it is my point. Oh, okay. They haven't said, you know, gee, I like you. (laughs) No one will ever know, right? Oh my God, I think I'm getting embarrassed. So referring to the people in the village, in the cob, that is, they've been speculating about how long it would take before we realized what was happening. She says, it's a little embarrassing, but then again, I'm happy that we've all had something positive, even if it's just a little distraction from the war being fought overhead. So is this a relationship or is it a distraction? I think it's more than a distraction. Isn't it amazing where or when love can find a way? If these were what we might call normal times, meaning before the war, maybe B and I would have dated for a while and then gotten married at the city hall and everyone down here would have been at a party. I guess we'll always count the time we've spent at night preparing food for the next day as our courtship. And then there was the sharing of my diary. I seriously doubt I would have even considered dating any soldier, never mind an American soldier. (laughs) And why is that? Well, I think, you know, it's, you know, mid 20th century rural France. Soldiers are not from the village. You know, they're strangers. Wasn't she told, stay away from soldiers? Anyway, she continues, we are not alone, B and me. Life has been turned upside down for so many of us, and we find ourselves doing things we'd have never imagined. So on we go with life as it is in this moment. She underscores very heavily this moment. On the positive side, we're making more of this situation together than we would have on our own. I'm assuming she means together with the American soldiers, sort of together as the village and together with the American soldiers. So all of them. I Making the best of the situation, you mean? Right. As far as returning to normal times, we'll have to first welcome back peace. I'm always telling everyone, chin up. There's too much to do. We can't get all mired in doubt now, quoting herself there. And then she says, they respond by telling me I am beginning to sound like a Brit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why she's the professor, right? Carry on. Let's go. Let's get moving. (laughs) Oh, boy. What are we thinking? I'm just seeing the scene set down in the car with little flames flickering late at night. And they're peeling potatoes or whatever they might have for the next day. And a little rumply table, maybe. And the two of them are sitting there talking while they're working. I was thinking of happenstance. And she mentions that had it not been for the war, she probably would have never met him. Had it not been for where he was assigned and where she wound Mm -hmm. up. You know, so very often it is a matter of circumstances. You know, circumstances put people in certain places and things happen. A lot like of things happen. <laughs> like, it's, like it's happening right in this in Don't this forget, passage. her grandparents are here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. I wonder how her grandmother feels about her friendship with the American soldier. Hmm. I don't know. I shouldn't imply anything. <laughs> Just read. <laughs> she continues. 
Another amazing woman is the subtitle here. Annalise has been very active over the last several months. Whenever she returns to the cove, her clothes are ragged. She's all banged up and exhausted by her last mission and needing to recover for at least a month. But she never stays longer than a week before heading out again, saying she has recovered enough to be in a better condition than anyone she meets up with out there. So, again, I'll step out. She's referring to the resistance. Apparently, Annalise is on those missions. Elle continues, There are times when I feel a bit inept, that running the village in this cove and maintaining our transition point for, quote, members isn't as useful as those who are, quote, out on missions. I know better, though. This place we have here is like a Valhalla, for some of the people who land here are amazed by how comfortable we've made it. Even though we're in a damp cove, we've crafted it into a home of sorts. When there's enough wind to dissipate smoke quickly, we light a fire near the air shaft, and everyone gathers round to dry out and warm up a bit and they stay until the last ember loses its glow. Hmm. I can feel that. Yeah, I can feel that too. You know, darkness and dampness are hard to deal with. There's, well, there's an air shaft in these, in these calves, but, you know, and there's an entry and an exit point, obviously, but the air shaft is also can be a light shaft, a right. little bit, not much. You know, everything's by, by candlelight or just feeling your way along in a in a very dim situation that's damp or almost wet. Right? I was just thinking of living in adverse situations like that and trying to make the best of it. Everybody gathers around and they're down there and they're trying to survive. And sometimes it's daunting to think what they must have gone through. And yet, you know, she's writing about what she's trying to do to make people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I like that, to warm up a bit and sting until the last ember of the fire loses its glow. I'll bet it still throws a little heat even after that, the, the, where the dark. fire has been lit. Right. The last time Annalise came through, she slept for two days. She awoke with a fierce hunger, and once fed, she looked straight into my eyes and asked how long B and I had been a thing. I don't think she'd had a chance to speak with anyone else yet, so I was really taken aback with surprise. And then she warned me to not get too attached. And then pausing, she said, Well, then again, there's no time like the present. Just be careful with him. And that damn diary of yours, it could get us all killed if the Germans find it. And love him while you can. Nothing's forever or for sure either, so make it worth your while. Boy, is this woman speaking from experience or what? I think Annalise is, um, well, she's a romantic at heart because first she tells her, don't get involved. Then she says, well, Well, you know, maybe make it worth your while. I guess that's. But she does say something about the diary and her fear of it falling into the wrong hands. And that damn diary of yours, it could get us all killed if the Germans find it. I mean, what does she talk? Well, she does. She speaks about the American and she references the resistance. Well, the diary, she must have known something. Annalise must know something about the contents of the diary. I don't know if I would go that far. I would say they're aware that she writes in her diary every night. They don't know what she writes in her diary. No, but it's a diary. But it's a diary. Write in a diary about the day you've had or who knows. Elle continues. Of course, I had an awareness about what I write there to be careful about, well, you know, names and dates and all the other things, too. The little bit that we rescued from the village 
was too precious to risk for any reason. There could be no, not one mistake or careless move. They were trusting me with not only their lives, but our village legacy too. My American B is understanding about our security requirements and to the point where I still do not know his real name. I call him B, personally, and my American with everyone else. I've assigned my name to him as L, so he calls me L personally and the professor to everyone else. It's a nice little game we play made even a bit more amusing by everyone's willing participation. But I'm not at all convinced it would hold up under any interrogation, which is the recurring nightmare of every French man, woman, and child. I'd love to believe that I was as fearless as Annalise. I've always thought of her as being the Joan of Arc, like the statue facing the cathedral in Reims, shaking her clenched fist with spear at the enemy. She'd die before they'd get anything from her. I hope I would hang on, too. We do have a plan among the villagers to never acknowledge a family member among us, and in so doing, we'd deprive them any chance of torturing a relative to extract information. I think we are a convincing group of random, dumb-looking farmers left over after the original assault on our village. We are the unlucky residents of an area constantly caught up in a dispute of men and their egos. <laughs> wow, there's a lot in that. So are you, do you have any thoughts? About, I love the, the Joan of Arc reference. There's a statue, the there's a bronze statue, I think it's bronze. Mm, I think I so. Yeah. A bronze statue of Jeanne d'Arc on her horse and she's facing the cathedral in Reims and she's got a spear in one hand and a shield on her arm and she's she's got her arm raised up in defiance. That's I can a really see it. gorgeous statue. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. That northern, northeastern quadrant of France has been in dispute many, 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 many times. Yeah, it's been many different countries, that little part of France. Yeah, the border moved to and fro. I love the way people can move a border. Like, no, now it's on that side of the river. No, it's on this side of the valley. I'll take that mountain. You get the lake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you're, when you look at the earth from, you know, uh, satellite pictures of the earth, there are no borders. It's just water and land. Yeah. They're artificial. They're really artificial. So fighting over them is even more incredible when you think about it. Yeah. Or drawing fences on them or anyway, she continues saying, I find myself frequently observing and thinking that my American is an awful lot like Annalise. Like her, he disappears for long stretches of time, and on return, he's a mess, tattered and bruised and exhausted. He's usually accompanied by one of his men when he leaves, and then when they return, they very often bring along someone new, mostly French men. Bottom line is that their number has grown to 12 now. I know enough to never ask, but I can't help wondering what's going on right under my nose, much like we did when we first let the Americans stay with us in the cave. Vive la resistance, she writes. <laughs> so that reference is when the Americans first discovered the cob or discovered them in the cob, there was no acknowledgement that they were a holdover point for people in the resistance. I guess right. I guess that's what we well, can call the, it. The, the funny thing about that whole resistance is you just never know, right? You just never knew who or... No, nobody could be trusted. Nobody could be trusted. Well, and she says, I think I might be avoiding the obvious. You know, we've talked about getting married. What, would I, what am I thinking? Would I be marrying someone whose name I do not know? 
I know nothing about his family or his hometown in the States. He told me he has a younger sister who I remind him of and that our presence in his life is what makes him ever more cautious. The truth is that the details of his life before the war matter not to me. And I believe he feels the same way too. We have no plans that begin with when the war ends because we neither know when or how this is going to turn out. I do know that this village will always be okay. Eventually, the vineyards will be plowed, started anew, and rebuilt just as they've always been. The most difficult part about thinking of the future is what we do not know who will be here. So in the meantime, I will continue to write about our times here because, my dear reader, you must learn about what kept us going, and I must never forget. Either way, this diary should help us both, at least as much as it does for me, here on this dark and quiet night, waiting for B. I'll be back tomorrow night and hopefully thrilled by his return. Well, I guess one could say that there is a certain sense of commitment, I guess. Well, maybe the marriage word was mentioned, but she says just the notion is crazy, though, right? Yeah, but you wonder, was she thinking of better times, you know, to get away from her plight at that point? You know what I mean? I think her point is that you have to be so much in the moment now. I think it could be torturous to look too far into the future. You know, when you're in a difficult situation, sometimes looking forward helps pull you through it. But when the now is dragging on, to always look to the future is just feels too far away, I think. Yeah, that's very true. So you have to be focused on the now and make this moment as good as it possibly can be. But don't you think that the whole war, being in a war, makes you more present, you know? Oh, God, yeah, I think so. Because it's, you're in the middle of a, you know, all you can think of is, am I going to make well, it to, was, next, this to was tomorrow? Annalise's, this was Annalise's advice to her. First, she scolds her a bit, be careful with him, and then she says, just make the most of it while you can. You, right. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's very true. I think Annalise is a little romantic herself. I don't know who she is. Well, she's a fierce little fighter, and she comes back, and then she goes out again before she's even healed up and rested. I think she's one of those little powerhouses, wiry little, you know. Keeps going for the honor of France. One of those types. Well, I think the resistance people, when you look at people who were involved in the resistance, they were incredibly special were taking the chances they took, you know, believing in their country and wanting to ward off the enemy, that they would take the chances they took. And they all took, I mean, so many people were involved on so many different levels, getting information in and out. Kids, all kinds of people. What I think is so impressive is, I was going to say the state, but the country, I guess it is the state of France, the government acknowledged people who worked in the resistance and you know, with um, the Medals of Honor throughout France, there's there's quite a bit of of uh, memorials plaques and, and plaques. Even in the city of Paris, you see plaques on buildings where you know where people were killed actually by Nazis, right. honoring kids and people. And and I, she I, said in the di- hang on a second, she said in the diary, "It's for you to know what kept us going, and it's for me to remind myself." But we do have to keep keep a memorial to these things and remind ourselves what was sacrificed and for what reasons. Yeah, 
And they constantly remind you of that. I was thinking the last time we were in Paris, I don't know why I was thinking, oh, I know, it it was not the last time. one of my favorite phrases, the last time we were in Paris. The last time we were in Paris, but uh, (laughs) it was Bastille Day. We were fortunate enough to go down to the parade and it was just incredible. I'd never been there for Bastille and just to see it. True story behind the getting caught up in the Bastille Day parade is we thought we were outsmarting the crowds. As always. We could figure this out. I'll do anything to avoid a big crowd. I'm, I'm not a fan. But we took the metro and thought, well, if we take it beyond, you know, the point where all the activities were, then we could take it there and then we could walk back from a different direction and it would be great. It would be so clever, except they close off several metro stations when they have this event. And we got funneled right into the thick of it. Right in the thick of it. it was... We came out near La Madeleine, and I remember being pressed up against a fence at one point and saying, okay, um, I'm working on not panicking right now. And here was a sea of people going in that direction. You know, and you're, you're not even sure your own feet are touching the ground. You're being moved along, you know. It's yeah. like, am I crowd surfing here? Yeah. But what I was thinking when we were at that spot was, can you imagine, I forgot what the date was, when the Germans entered Paris. No, and just the idea of taking over a city, just walking in and taking it. The Gaul. The Gaul. And I think the resistance. Not the Gaul, but the Gaul. <laughs> the Gaul, yeah. And I think the resistance was built from that. Like, how dare you, you know? When my, on my very first visit to Paris as a kid, I was up in the Arc de Triomphe. I was with my brother. And we were talking about it, and we we both recalled the same thing from our school days and learning about how the Germans had taken Paris and everything. And we were up there looking down the Champs-Élysées. The vision I had at that point, I remember in one of my school books was a black and white, obviously, black and white photograph of the German tanks on the Champs-Élysées. And it was just, and that moment was in my chest. I mean, here I am, I'm just an American kid, you know. I was so moved by that imagery. And there it was, and these people lived it. Yeah, and I think it's pretty poignant when you see those plaques, you know, the kids who had lived there and were yanked out because they were Jewish and taken to the camps. Yeah, little kids. Or or adults or whomever. And, And those plaques on these old buildings really keep that alive that yep this happened you've got to be vigilant so it doesn't happen again you know oh i have an observation and i'm going to make a guess l is in the cove with members of her village and her grandparents and she tells us she's almost 20 years old but her parents are not there she's never mentioned them anyway I would imagine she would have mentioned them had they been there. Maybe they're off at the resistance too. I'm thinking they are because she also mentions let's not acknowledge any family members here. And I have read that in the the wartime that very often parts of families would separate. And, you know, at least we can save part of our family. Everyone doesn't have to go at once. But, you know, I don't well, know. Well, there's safety and dispersing like that. But she is taking care of her grandparents. I guess they couldn't leave. But we don't know that part of the story of where her parents are. You know, the imagery of her reference to her grandmother looking to her with fear. She saw fear for the first time. Whereas a kid, she was always looking to her grandmother for, you know, confidence and everything's going to be okay. And now her grandmother was looking to her for that. Hey, she's doing a fine job. Yeah, I think she is. And and just a point, her grandmother probably lived through 
or was born around the time of the first one, the First World War. Well, so it was comes, only, what, 20 some years? Yeah, prior? it was, yeah, 19, yeah, 19, 17, 18. So these people have lived, her grandparents have lived through two wars within, you know, their lifetimes. And they're probably well, there in the was 60s. also the flux era, which was the infection of the vines where they lost the entirety of the vine, the vineyards. Tough and the, times those people endured. And another big event in the region was the strikes, the labor strikes against the champagne houses right. for all the farmers and workers. I don't recall the timing of that. Was it before think, or after flux era? Do you recall? I think that was, I want to say, early teens. It so was, before Fluxer? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. They weren't so being paid. So before the war, yeah, before the other things really started chugging along. Anyway, we had three events. The Fluxera, the labor strikes against the champagne makers and houses. The and epidemic. The war and the Spanish flu, which Spanish was connected flu. during wartime. And then World War Two. A lot like enough to, already. A lot to go through in 20 years, 25 years. Whew, that's a lot. And there she is taking care of her grandparents and everybody else down there. Well, a lot of responsibility on a 20 You know what I wonder, and I've thought of this too, traveling, and I remember once on uh, one of those trains in Western France and Austria where you're going through the Alps and you have these panoramic uh, trains, they're called, with the the roof of the car as glass. Mm -hmm. So you can see the stunning views of these valleys and little tiny hamlets kind of, They look like they're stuck on the side of the mountain. And I wondered at that time if those villages escaped the ravages of war. I don't really think anybody in that region really did. Do you? I don't think so. I think if they were walking through and you were in the way, you just Yeah, I was just, what I meant was their remoteness. I wonder if their remoteness protected them a bit, I imagine, but eventually not so much. Yeah, I guess it just depended what route they were going through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's it. I always she, say that. That's it. That's all. <laughs> you do. Disappointed? Yeah. That's it. She wrapped up with, this diary should help us both, at least as much as it does for me, here on this dark and quiet night, waiting for B. I'll be back tomorrow night, and hopefully thrilled by his return. Oh, you little lovebirds, can't wait. you. <laughs> can't wait for the next installment. Oh, well. This diary entry has come to an end. Oh. I really like the series a lot. I do, too. I like the the intimacy of... Well, that can't be the end. On. I mean, Claire has to come back and tell us what's going on at some point. Here, no, but I mean, so. I just like... This story is yeah. very nice. Yeah. All right. Don't forget, you can go back and you can listen to any of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. So when you get there, be sure to follow us and you'll never miss a thing. So I'm Sam. And I'm Ted. And we'll see you next time when we're back at the mic. mic.